Good morning, Mosaic Church. We are so glad you're here to worship with us today. If you're new to Mosaic, we are so glad that you're here with us. As a church, Mosaic exists to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, if you'd like to get connected to the life of our church through community groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve, you can text the word Mosaic to 97,000 and we'll follow up with you this week. If you can't tell, based on our decorations that went up last week, we love celebrating Christmas as a church family, and we have lots of fun Christmas-related things coming up this month as we remember and rejoice in the birth of our Savior. Pastor Todd will give us a rundown of those things later in this service, but you can find the schedule on Facebook and the Church Center app, and as usual, we'll communicate more details about each event listed as we get closer to each one. And now, as we're about to enter into corporate worship, if you're concerned about having little ones in service with you, we want you to feel at ease. We love kids and have a lot of them here. Our kids ministry is always available to you and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're glad you're here today. Let's worship Jesus together. All right, well, hey, good morning. Are we doing good? All right, good. Well, hey, uh, my name is uh, Tad Anderson, and I am the lead teaching pastor here at Mosaic Church. If I've not met you, I would love to do that. Uh, but just on behalf of our church, we're glad you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning. Uh, just want to run through uh, really quick our holiday schedule. Uh, officially, it is uh, we are in the holidays now. So let me just kind of run you through what we're going to be uh, doing. The first thing, uh, not really like holiday themed. I guess we could make it holiday themed, but it's our 2023 budget meeting. Uh, that's going to be on uh, December 15th. That's a Thursday. And some of you are like, what? Are we coming up here on a Thursday? No, it's going to be virtual this year. Uh, it'll be later in the evening, so we don't have to have everyone uh, come up for an extra meeting uh, in an already busy season and facilitate childcare and all of that. It's probably going to be about 8 p.m. because uh, that's when our kids go to bed. Um, uh, probably via Zoom, since everyone just kind of knows uh, intuitively how that works now. And uh, with the help of our bookkeeper and our finance team, uh, I will do my best to uh, paint a picture of where we stand financially at the end of this year and help us understand what that means for next year. Uh, as you know, finances uh, are definitely not everything, uh, but they are important markers of how we're doing spiritually, as Jason just uh, said to us. And so if you're a, uh, a partner with Mosaic, then you are definitely expected to uh, tune in to this. Uh, if you are considering making Mosaic your home church, then you are encouraged to join us because we always want uh, the financial aspect of things to be open and transparent to anyone who wants to be a part of our church. I'll let you know uh, next Sunday for certain, but we'll probably put a link on our app that will allow you to log into this uh, meeting. Like weird stuff happens when you put those, app, those links out there in, in public, you know, so we don't want anything like that to happen. So it'll be on the app only. Uh, it probably won't take longer than an hour, uh, depending on how many questions there are. We will allow time for question and answer. So um, next would be our kids' Christmas program. 
Uh, that's going to be on December 18th, and uh, it'll be in our regularly scheduled Sunday service. And if your kids are in it, then you already know all about it. It's been communicated, uh, and they are practicing. So, uh, And then followed, uh, the next event will be our Christmas Eve, Eve service on the 23rd of December. Uh, because of the nature of our community, we just uh, traditionally have a Christmas Eve Eve gathering, uh, since many are tied up with travel and family logistics stuff on Christmas Eve. And uh, because we usually get a lot of visitors uh, for that service and have a lot of kids in here with us, it'll be uh, a lot of singing with a very abbreviated, I promise, uh, gospel message <laughs> followed by some festivities, uh, cookies, hot chocolate, photo booth, etc. fellowship. It'll be a good time. Uh, and then actually, as you may know, if you've done the calculations, Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. For that reason, we will uh, have a small service, and uh, we would encourage anyone who's able uh, to come and to worship together on Christmas Sunday this year. More details on that to come. Uh, and then we will have a New Year's Day family service as well. Um, that's just on the holiday schedule, uh, just to remind you to take it easy on New Year's Eve, okay, uh, so that you can come up here ready to worship the next morning, okay? Um, as always, uh, we'll push uh, updates uh, on more specific details as each of these dates get closer uh, via social media and the app. All right. Well, this morning we are jumping into uh, the first message of our Advent series this year, and it's called Come All You Unfaithful. And uh, before I explain the series title, let me first quickly explain the term Advent. Advent is the uh, English version of the Latin term Adventus, which means coming, and it's a translation of the Greek word parousia, which occurs in the New Testament over 20 times, the majority of which have an eschatological or end times connotation to them, and they reference the return of Christ or his second coming. And so um, this is what the season of Advent uh, is all about, if you haven't gathered that yet from our service. Uh, it's not just the name, you know, Advent's not just the name uh, on that little cardboard countdown to Christmas calendar full of weird you know, jelly candy that your grandma had when you were a kid. Um, uh, the, the idea of Advent is actually older than your grandma. It actually began uh, all the way back in the Old Testament because from the very beginning, uh, if you're familiar with the, the storyline of the Bible, you'll know that God's people have been looking ahead to the day that the offspring of woman would crush the head of the serpent like God had promised to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And as you then you know, make your way through the Old Testament, this idea continues to be developed. Later in Genesis, we find out uh, this offspring of Eve is going to uh, also be a descendant of Abraham. And then later on, that he'll be a king who will be uh, a son of David uh, that comes from the line of Judah. And then the prophet Isaiah whose ministry took place approximately you know, 700 years or so before the birth of Jesus, he articulates uh, the prophecy that this king is going to be born of a virgin and that he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Advent is a season of expressing awe and wonder uh, at the incarnation of Christ, the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, came in human flesh and dwelt among us, both fully man 
and fully God in order to secure our reconciliation with God through his perfect life, his atoning death, and his triumphant resurrection. And thus, during Advent, believers in Christ take time specifically to behold the wonder of the first coming of their Messiah and to stir their hearts together in longing for his second coming. And uh, we've titled our Advent series this year, Come All You Unfaithful. In order to understand why we've titled it that, we need to open the Bible. So uh, let's pray and we'll do that. Father, God, we are so thankful for your grace, as always, as we always say. But in this season, we are particularly thankful for the time that we have to set aside to consider the amazing realities of the incarnation of your son, Jesus. While the culture around us is very celebratory in this season, they are often confused about why. And so we thank you that you have opened our eyes to the real why of the gospel and given us the task of sharing that amazing news with others that Jesus was born to make the only way possible for us to be saved. Without the virgin birth, there could be no empty tomb. And so we praise you for your unfathomable wisdom and love for us in that. And so I simply pray that this morning and for the next few weeks, as we open your word together, that we would savor the amazing gospel truths like this that accompany the season of Advent. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you know me, you know I'm a huge fan of what? The Office. The Office. I love the TV show, The Office. And I'm, I am not, to be clear, I'm not advocating that you become a fan. I'm certainly not insinuating there's any inherent spiritual value to the show. Uh, but the reason that I enjoy it is because I think it does a great job at poking fun of the silliness that exists in human relationships sometimes. Uh, every episode begins with a cold open. It's just a random comedic situation that happens in the office between two or more characters. And in one particular episode, the cold open focuses on uh, a man named Daryl. He's the shipping manager for the paper company Dunder Mifflin, and his elderly grandmother has just passed away. And Pam who is the office administrator. She comes into his cubicle and uh, gives her condolences and hands Daryl a card that has been signed by everyone in the office. He somberly thanks her. He opens the card, and he begins to read the words that have been written by his coworkers. And they say things like, Have fun today, big guy. Oh, yeah, party time, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Hooray, live it up, Big D. Days like this don't come often enough. Time to celebrate. You deserve this. <laughs> Pam, who has become very uncomfortable, says, it's possible that some people thought it was your birthday. And just as she apologetically clarifies this, two other coworkers giddily run around the corner one wearing a party hat and blowing a birthday kazoo, 
The other starts pretending to give Daryl birthday punches. And the cold open ends, zooming in at Daryl's cheek. He's got a tear rolling down his cheek. It's a very um, funny, not funny, kind of tragic comedy vibe. And I begin with this little anecdote because I can't help but feel like this is similar to how a lot of people feel during the holiday season. Like there's an emotional dissonance to the modern American Christmas. All of the marketing and events are are shoving it in your face. This is the happiest time of the year. Be happy. I'm not trying to be a Grinch. I do like the movie The Grinch. Our family loves The Grinch. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be happy during Christmas time, but statistically, a lot of people struggle with feeling happy during the holiday season, or at least they struggle with feeling as superficially upbeat as everything around them is telling them that they should. I think it's kind of a self-perpetuating problem. They don't feel like they think they should feel, and that makes them feel worse, right? Statistics show that depression rates um, rise steeply during this time where there is the most singing, feasting, and festive decorating. And uh, secular psychologists mention the, the reality that you know, there's less sunlight between the fall and spring months, and that perhaps uh, that has something to do with it. And I certainly don't want to totally dismiss that psychosomatic phenomenon, but I do want to press down into the spiritual aspect of it from a biblical perspective. And to do that, I'd like to begin in a peculiar little account in Luke's gospel just after Jesus' birth that many probably skip over because it doesn't have the familiar Christmas characters, angels, shepherds, and wise men. I want us to read it because I think it has huge significance to an underlying theme of Advent. And we'll pick it up in uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Here's what it says. It says, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let's pause there. So so Jesus' mother and earthly father are doing the devout Jewish thing here. They're bringing him to the temple to be dedicated according to the Mosaic law. And of note is that they are young and they are poor, indicated by their being unable to offer a lamb and having to offer instead two small birds as their sacrifice. So their arrival... It would have been very modest and unassuming, just like Jesus' birth in the manger. But as they're making their way in quietly, something surprising happens. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Verse 33 says, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So Joseph and Mary have had a very unusual birth experience with Jesus. Angels showing up to both of them, uh, as well as to Zechariah. Elizabeth prophesying that her her baby is jumping in the womb in the presence of the preborn baby Jesus. The shepherds showing up to worship him later on. The Magi are going to show up to worship as well. Okay, and so you've got to imagine that they're just stunned Right? Like trying to wrap their, their minds around what all keeps being said about this baby born to young, poor, virtually unknown first century Jewish parents. The, the things that are being said are so grand, and they have these clear uh, Old Testament messianic themes. While they may have understood that, no one could have really conceived of of how the life and ministry of Jesus was going to play out and how it was going to fulfill all of the prophecies that had been uh, being made since Genesis chapter 3. But I want to zoom in here. Uh, One thing in particular that was said of Simeon when he met Jesus and, and held him there at the temple that day. In verse 25, Luke says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation is paraklesis in the Greek. It shares the same root word with the most common word used for the Holy Spirit, referred to as the paraclete or our comforter. To console someone is to comfort them. It's typically used in the context of someone who is sorrowful or who's grieving. They need to be encouraged to have their spirits lifted. And this, at this point in redemptive history, Israel desperately, desperately needs that. The the previous glory of their kingdom is gone after years of exile. All the prophets have ceased speaking. And now the Roman Empire is ruling over them with an iron fist. And they are just confused, likely confused, about what God meant with all these promises of a triumphant Savior King who would set them free and give them back their their dignity and their, their hope. And when Simeon sees Jesus, the Holy, the Holy Spirit apparently says, that's him. He's the one. All the promises and prophecies are about him, this, this baby. And while a majority of the Jewish people at that time were mostly concerned with their sad way of life in an economical and political sense, Not much has changed, right? The most important prophecy about Jesus was how he would be the one to finally deal with their sin problem, right? He would be the one to cleanse their guilty consciences in a way that no amount of 
religious ceremonies and, and animal sacrifices could possibly cleanse. He would be the one to bring them back into a right relationship with God, where their continual sin had separated them and shown itself impossible to overcome on their own. He would be their savior, not in a temporal, geopolitical sense, bringing them physical prosperity, but in the more important spiritual sense, bringing them life for eternity. He would end the hopeless cycle they were in of promising to be good enough by attempting to white-knuckle the religious duties of the law only to fall headlong into failure and sin again, followed by grief and then attempting to pull themselves back up by their bootstraps and beginning that hopeless cycle all over again. He would give them, Jesus would give them, an entirely new and better way, a way where he did it all for them, paid for their sin once and for all with his own death, canceling out the death that they deserved and giving them new hearts that would naturally want to obey God and be empowered by his grace to do what the law required. This was the consolation that Simeon was waiting for and that he saw in Jesus, which is why he said, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He was likely recalling prophecies like the one made about Jesus in Isaiah 40 that said, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough place is a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, to put it plainly, the consolation of Israel was the gospel. Okay, that's the consolation of Israel. And Jesus himself is the gospel. The comfort of Israel, but also comfort for anyone who realizes that they have sinned and fallen desperately short of the glory of God with no way to be good enough for God or to save themselves. Jesus is our consolation, our comfort, our hope, and our salvation. Prior to his incarnation, his physical birth, it's not that no one had faith that God could and, and would save them. It's that they didn't know how. It was a divine mystery. God had been promising to make a people for himself, but he was also saying all along that his people 
We're going to be perfect. And anyone who was honest knew that they didn't qualify for that. Anybody here that qualifies for that? Not me. So only when Jesus arrived on the scene as the Son of God, fully God and fully man, did it become clear how God's promises could be kept and how his imperfect people could be consoled. And this is what Simeon saw with the help of the Holy Spirit. Simeon understood something about the birth of Jesus that very few others did then or even do now. Here's how I would say it in our modern cultural context. First point in your notes is that the joy of Christmas comes not from pouring material excess over abundance, but the dawning of spiritual light and hope where there was only darkness and despair. Okay. This is what had, what had happened with the birth of Christ. And you see, I, I think this is why, to bring it to us, to contextualize this, I think this is why, deep down, so many people wind up depressed during the Christmas season or disappointed when it's all over. You see, humanity still has a real sin problem. Do you know that? Like us. We have an actual, not hypothetical, an actual sin problem. We're living in a world where a biological man can now win the award for woman of the year. And everyone's supposed to be excited about that. I'm not laughing because it's not funny. People can have their baby killed up to the moment of birth if they don't want it. And everyone is supposed to say that that's right and good. There are Disney shows glorifying blatant homosexuality and actual demonic witchcraft. We live in a world where wars are actively taking place, where genocide is actively taking place under communist regimes, where child sex trafficking is happening in our own country, not to mention cancer, car crashes, and COVID-19. And also not to mention all of our own personal sin struggles that only each of us knows the true depth and extent of. We have a sin problem. And along comes Christmas in America, and the message on every ad is, yay, time to get more stuff. Don't worry about all the terrible problems in the world. Just spend more money. It'll be okay. We used to have a holiday where everyone was thankful for their, their old stuff first, you know, which was good, I guess. But that got totally overshadowed by the incessant need for new stuff. There was Thanksgiving, right? And then would come Black Friday. But now, 
Black Friday starts on the Monday before Thanksgiving. And now Thanksgiving is like a little intermission between Black Friday week and Cyber Monday week, right? Like, sure, everything in the world seems like it's on the verge of total meltdown, but you can get new sweatshirts at the Under Armour outlet for $29.99, okay? You're going to look good for World War III, okay? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's like your Daryl from the office. Your beloved grandmother dies, and all your friends throw you a birthday party. Like, what? No wonder people are depressed during the holidays. They're treating it like a season for mass consumption when Scripture tells us it's a season for consolation. Paul Tripp says it really well, as always. He says, The glory of the birth of Jesus becomes glorious when it is seen through the humbling lens of the desperate condition that was the reason for his coming. Christmas is about the weight of the sinful world that we all feel. It's about how Jesus was born to overcome our sin and the sin of the world and and through that to give us the the deep soul-level comfort that cannot come from anywhere else. Our culture is telling us, seek out material joy during the holidays and you'll find comfort in that. But that's not how it works. If you've tried it, you know. If you do that, you'll just still be sad and surrounded by a bunch of new stuff. Probably in debt, which is why you're sad, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It's a sad thing, debt. But biblically, we see that our joy is supposed to flow from our spiritual comfort in Christ, right? Joy flows from the comfort of knowing we can be forgiven for all of our sin and that all of the sin in the world is ultimately going to be dealt with by King Jesus when he returns. Okay. It's important that you see how that works. Do you see that? If you get those flip-flopped, you're going to have problems. Your holiday season is going to feel dissonant, like something isn't wired right. You're supposed to feel delight. Instead, you feel disappointment. It's because you you can't celebrate Jesus one day a year in a totally unbiblical way and expect to get the joy that he promises to those who surrender their lives to him and who actually read and apply his word. You can't do that. I guess some people call that CEO Christianity. Christmas and Easter only Christianity. (laughs) That's like these people you see on social media who get all stoked out of their minds for the World Cup. You've seen those people? They, They know nothing about soccer. Literally have not watched a single game. 
And then out of nowhere, they're posting about FIFA, you know, like, yes. Come on, man, you're not a soccer fan. We all know it. You don't talk about soccer ever. The majority of America celebrates Christmas like that. They go all out for one day, December 25th. But Jesus has not crossed their mind since April on Easter. Right? My point is this. I digress a little bit there. My point is, Christmas is not about finding comfort in the cheap joys of giving and getting more stuff on one special day a year. Christmas is about how every one of us were living in spiritual darkness and despair because of our sin, and God gave us the only gift that could change it. Amen. The gift of his son, who would become our savior and the comforter of our souls. So that said, I'll end with this. As weird and kind of spiritually discombobulated as American Christmas is, I, I do think there's a redemptive quality to it. Simeon says to God uh, in verses 30 and through 32, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Christmas is still a reminder that in the broken world we live in, there is hope of salvation, and anyone can have it. Okay, anyone can have it. The inordinately high level of cultural attention given to Christmas each year is like a, a giant red arrow pointing people to the gospel message. You see, even though most people who celebrate Christmas don't understand how it's about Jesus, that doesn't make it any less about Jesus, okay? In 1 Peter 3, which I preached earlier this year, there are some of the most confusing verses in the Bible, but I think there's a, a helpful tie-in that we can make to Luke 2. In 1 Peter 3, Peter is talking about uh, the death of Jesus and the gospel. And listen to what he says in verses 18 through 20. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. Get this part right here. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a, a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, I'm not going to split hairs and all the complexities of this text. If you want to hear me do that, you can go back and listen to that sermon because I did do it already. But I think one of the points that's being made is that in Genesis, when Noah was building this ark for 120 years, this Massive boat he's constructing. A boat bigger than most football stadiums that could have fit the equivalent of like 450 semi-truck trailers inside of it, okay? So it's, it's huge. The ark itself became a proclamation of the gospel. 
a proclamation to repent and turn back to God in faith and be saved because there's coming a global flood and the only people who are saved will be the ones who trust God on this ark. Okay, that's kind of what that text is is saying. That, That gospel was clear in the days of Noah. Christmas, in the same way, proclaims the message of the gospel. It's a massive holiday that no one can miss with a very simple but crucial meaning behind it all. That Christ came into the world in human form to rescue you from your sin. And for all who will trust him in faith, there will be eternal life and salvation from judgment. But the only way is to be in him, in Jesus. It's like with the flood. The only way to be saved was to be in the ark, right? The only way to be saved is to be in Jesus. And so that's why I titled this Advent series, Come All You Unfaithful, because I, I love good gospel-centered Christmas music, and I, I love the classic, O Come All You Faithful, There's a modern rewrite that I really love by Sovereign Grace Music called Come All You Unfaithful. And the message of that song is the message of Christmas. It goes like this. O come all you unfaithful. Come weak and unstable. Come know that you are not alone. O come barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come. See what your God has done. O come, bitter and broken. Come with fears unspoken. Come taste of his perfect love. O come, guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born. For you. What a sweet gospel consolation that is. A reminder that the joy of Christmas comes not from pouring material excess on top of what's already abundance, but the dawning of spiritual light and hope in Jesus, where there was only darkness and despair. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel that is the central point of all of your word and how the central point of the gospel is Jesus, who he is and what he's done on our behalf. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to us that we might have salvation. I pray that we would all the men and women in this room would know that's really what Christmas is about. That's what Advent is about, is beholding the mystery of the incarnation and being in awe of what you've done for us in Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.